This is Profiles in Risk. Hosted by Nick Lamparelli. Every week, we interview those who risk life, limb, fortunes, career, and reputation, and those who work behind the scenes who look to protect and enlighten us about risk. You can find the show notes and other insurance-related content at insnerds.com. That's I-N-S-N-E-R-D-S dot com. Now, on to the show. Hi, this is Nick Lamparelli. I'm in Naples, Florida with my friend Will Castro, uh, head of Harbor Insurance, and we are driving around Naples post Irma. For those of you that um, didn't know, I, I, I did interview Will. I will put this on the show notes, the recording. And uh, post Irma, when it was pretty stressful for him, and now we're doing a post post Irma. Will, nice to meet you again. Hey, Nick, how you doing? Um, Will, so I met you at your temporary office. First question that came to my mind was how difficult was it to find a temporary office? Well, it was hard. It was, we were down here two days after the storm when everything was shut down. And fortunately, a friend of mine um, is a realtor and a, a leasing agent. And I called him up and he opened up the doors two and a half days after the storm. And uh, Will from Will McDonald from the office who uh, was in there, with, who you said hi to, um, he was very instrumental in getting just labor, trucks, people to move all of our stuff into the temporary office. And um, it took us four or five days to get power down here where we are right now. We're, we're driving on Tamiami Trail. Just Route 41. Route 41, yeah. yeah. Um, just north of, of downtown Naples. And we had no power on this whole strip for at least a week. So we were running, and I mentioned in the podcast before, basically we fanned out as agency staff. And we went to Savannah, Georgia. We went to uh, Tennessee. We were in Orlando, uh, Boynton Beach. And so basically people fanned out, and we had the phones forwarded, and we were up and running at 9.15 a.m. on Monday morning, uh, just after the storm. So... It, uh, it all worked out very well. And, and post since then, um, this is a note for all, all your insurance folks. Uh, if you're buying E&O coverage, we bought our E&O policy from uh, our state agency or association, FAIA, Florida Association of Independent Agents. And Jeff Grady, who's the president, called me up two days after the storm when he found out our office was destroyed and said, what can I do to help? And he was very instrumental. But he also hinted to me that if we bought, which we did, uh, the Westport E&O policy, there is a provision in there um, for business income and extra extra expense. And so our E&O policy that we pay, I don't know, 10 or 12 grand a year, no, 14, 14 grand a year, um, just wrote us a check for $28,000 for the first 30 days post Irma. Um, wow. And they also paid for our employees who fanned out yep. after the storm because they wanted our employees to have a good place to work to file claims so we didn't have any E&O problems, which yeah. we don't. So that was a pretty cool thing. 
Yes. So your your property was actually damaged. Your office. Yes. Uh, so what what's the state of repair on that? So and we're driving up to it. Uh, you'll be able to see it Nick, for okay. sort of the first time. We're driving up to it right now. Um, it is completely demoed, and I mean we're talking down to the studs. So we have a 5,000 square feet, all down to the studs, uh, temporary roofs on, and uh, the HEPA vac came through and cleaning, and we're just waiting for the mold and remediation test to come back for an all clear, and we won't have any problems with that, I'm pretty sure. Um, so yeah, we'll be back in mid-January, which is not bad. How much of your in- internal contents were damaged? Oh, um, 80%. Oh. I mean, it was, as one of the adjusters who came came by said, um, you know, it, it was raining at the time when they came by post-Irma. He said, if I had a bar of soap, I could shower in here right now. <laughs> Which was pretty funny for an adjuster. Yeah. For an adjuster to have some comedic value, it was pretty good. So, I don't recall from our... Uh, initial recording but you had so the phone lines were were forwarded I, I'm assuming that you had a full disaster plan yes uh, and I, I would I would guess that you, one of your recommendations would probably be like everyone should probably have something like that even though you hadn't had to use it in years um, did you have a disaster plan in place absolutely okay yep. um, and it, could you just briefly go into like what were some of the elements of that? So we, I copied the disaster plan from an agency that went through, it was in South Carolina, and they went through a claim maybe 15 or 20 years ago, I forget the hurricane, and they wrote a 20, 30, 40 page disaster plan, and I basically just copied it and updated it for what we were trying to do with technology. So that wasn't that hard, that portion of it. Um, what was difficult was and what I'm going to do next year is actually practice it. So we, we have hurricane meet. We usually have hurricane meetings every year to go through various things, and it all works. But we actually never forwarded the phones as part of the plan. Yeah, we to, ne- to test, test the, just to see if it it worked correctly. And it it works when everything is working. But you know, there's sort of that thing. You know, how do airplanes crashes crash? It's when they do the studies. It's usually yeah. three things. It's not just like the engine failed it's the engine failed the pilot was tired and it was at night and so just there was just stuff coming at you after the storm that you just couldn't think of ahead of time yeah um you know power not working okay great but now power's not working for because the storm hit all of florida so our our phone guys are up in fort myers and then they have a backup facility in orlando well, power was out in both Orlando and Fort Myers and Naples, and so we had a difficult time in the early stages getting our phones forwarded on a consistent basis. Um, so you just that stuff is just so hard to predict, but we did a good job. Um, most of the claims right now are closed. About 80% of the claims that, that our clients have made are closed, and you know we're working on the bottom 20%. The hard, what all every insurance agent knows about is just the hard ones, the ones that you don't think the insurance companies are treating your clients fairly or the insurance companies treating your clients fairly but the client doesn't understand um, the coverages so that's what we're working through right now so how did the insurance companies perform through this um, what kind of grade would you give them and you don't have to name names no no I, I'll, I'll name a few positive names um, 
Frontline, which is a, a, a newer um, Florida insurance company, I say newer, I think about 10 years, has done a wonderful, wonderful job. So they're Demotech A-rated. Um, they have embraced technology. They've been very responsive on communications. They did a great job. Uh, companies like Chubb have done a great job. We do a, a ton of business with Chubb. And so, you know, those two companies, are, and there are a few more companies I could name that have done great, a great job. And then there are companies I'm not going to name that we probably are not going to renew our contracts with um, going forward. And there's probably two of them I could, um, I'm thinking of right now. So you'll probably move the business. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it's not the policy itself. It's how they've handled the claims. And it's not that they want to deny the claims. They have no um, understanding of if the adjuster's been out, has he not been out? It's not their adjuster, which, you know, in the entire state of Florida's hit, you couldn't expect an insurance company right. to send all of their adjusters because there's just not that many. But so they, it's a it's a, a higher TPA. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and and for the most part, these guys do a wonderful job. But when they don't understand, when they don't get direction from the insurance company, then you, it just all depends on did you did he wake up on the right side of bed today, or mm -hmm. did he have his cup of coffee, or is this person just not competent? Um, to begin with, and the majority of adjusters out there, 90% of them are wonderful, but without direction, it's really hard. So, you know, that is one big, that is a, a problem that we're working through. So we're basically calling around trying to get another adjuster to come out and work through that process or provide the insurance company with a reason to pay the claim, you know, bring an engineer out, um, yeah. bring a specialist out. And for the most part, these insurance companies want to pay the claims. We just have to get them documentation. Yeah. So... Were there any wind wind flood issues? Yeah, so the majority of our claims were wind related. We only had oh I think four or five flood claims um, down here in, in Naples and even Marco Island. Um, so we were were luck we were really lucky on the flood. You know when you watch the Weather Channel the day before the storm you thought we were going to get you know a, sort of a Noah's Ark kind of flood and, and we didn't. Whether we got lucky or whether Naples is just sort of I know a little bit more protected for flooding. I don't know what the answer is, um, but we did really well on, on that area. So we've had some flood claims. One of them was has been handled terribly, and then the other three or four have been handled you know very well by um, by the NFIP. The problem is the NFIP contract is just so limited in coverage, and our clients know that. We've told them that ahead of time, but something has to change going forward, there has to be a buy-up option, and I know the federal government isn't going to come out with sort of a Cadillac kind of a plan, but we have to get some private market out there, and I know we work with private market flood, but, you know, replacement cost on contents is a must. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't understand what the use of uh, replacing a $500 TV with $50 is going to do. Um, it, it seems ridiculous to even offer that coverage if that's the way you, uh, it's the, the claim is going to be settled. Yeah, and it it actually ticks the client off more Yeah, yeah. In, in the process. Yeah. And I just think a company needs to come out that says, okay, listen, we understand NFIP. We're going to add on to the NFIP program, you know, covering things outside that get flooded, whether it's your um, AC systems or your pool pool systems those are expensive things especially down here in florida and our clients tend to 
be successful individuals and families who would most likely buy up on the coverage options and they're just not being offered. So I'm really hoping in this process the, the some innovative company comes out in that space and says, you know, this, this is what we're going to do uh, to help you guys out. Sounds like a hint to me. <laughs> it is a hint to you. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to pause here for a second. Uh, we'll, we'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. What's your name? John Cosgrove. And what do you do? Uh, environmental assessment. So you're checking the mold in the building. Uh, you must be pretty busy. Uh, extremely. <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, how, does, how does the work, how does this equipment work? Uh, what are you actually testing? What are some of the risks and pitfalls when it comes to uh, flooding that occurs after a hurricane? Uh, well, first is the category of water. Most people think of water losses like plumbing leaks from, yep. you know, kitchen water supply or the bathroom toilet or something. But when you have category three water intrude into a building, it degrades those organics pretty quickly and mold starts growing and becomes a pretty unhealthy environment. So we use uh, some technology, infrared thermal imaging, moisture mm -hmm. meters, hygrometers, and close, careful look at everything to see what's wet, what's dry, what has mold, what doesn't. Where do we smell things? And it's an environmental assessment from that yeah. mold and moisture side of things. See where we are and where we need to go. Are there any differences between fresh water and salt water? Um, yes, although generally speaking, we deal with mostly fresh water issues, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah. But you, you can't... Mold, I mean, mold can grow if it, uh, salt water hits it, right? Well, it's it's so it's an organic food source and a sufficient moisture source. So mold's yeah. pretty ubiquitous in nature. It grows everywhere. And give it enough food and water and it's going to do its thing. <laughs> it finds a way. Yeah, yeah, it's like an animal. That's uh, right. So if you do find mold, then what? Principle of remediation is removal of. Most people want to kill it. No, grab the bleach. Oh, I, I killed the mold. Or they'll sure. pay that's remediation what I, that's what I contractors would do. thousands of dollars to kill mold that's already dead. So the principle of remediation is it's physical removal. So if it's on a surface and you can clean it, you've successfully removed it from that surface. If it's in the material, now you're probably either sanding it out, cutting it out, but you have to remove the mold. Killing it is not sufficient. The dead spores are just as problematic for human health as the live spores. If it produced a mycotoxin, it's still on the spore. So we need to focus on removal of. Because yeah. it gets in the air. It, it, somehow, it sure. somehow it, some way it can get into the air and then gets into your lungs. Well, right. You can have respiratory exposure where people can have allergenic type symptom responses or hypersensitive folks can be even more dramatic and, and you know even life-threatening uh, depending on their sensitivity um, so yeah there's a lot of little variables and caveats and <laughs> but uh, so this was one event how long how long will you go into 2018 before your work starts to peter out just from this one event oh I, don't, I think it'll be 2019 really I'm already into January um, and I still have an inch or more of single sheet paper of jobs waiting in the wing that are on the list just waiting for my next availability which is after january wow that's incredible it, it is incredible i've yeah. never experienced i mean usually i'm five to seven days maybe seven to ten days out during season yeah. when everybody's here and real estate's booming and all that but it's insane for me to be months out you must be turning stuff away i am uh, we yeah. just we can't handle the volume um and unfortunately we don't want to turn people away but they need assistance and if yeah. they 
got to wait months on end. It's you what, better what get somebody. You got to get somebody in sooner yeah. than later because water and time are the enemy. So, <laughs> yeah. well, what uh, what John does, which is really unique, um, and John has done a lot of work for our harbor insurance clients in the past, and um, and he's working on our heart. We're about to walk into our harbor insurance space that we're remediating after the damage. But what John does is he assesses the situation through his technologies and, and all of his training and experience. And then from there, he issues usually about a 50-page report and you know, hands it to you and said, these are the things that need to get done. So he doesn't actually do the remediation. He, is, he tests for the remediation. And so there's not a conflict of interest at yeah. all. And yeah. so he just says, listen, here's the report. You can have your, you can do it yourself. If you think you're capable, you can have a professional mold person do it. You can have a general contractor do it. But if you follow this exact report, line item by line item, you're going to get rid of the mold. And then from there, he comes back after and holds that contractor accountable and issues another report. So, and John, John's been doing this for a long time and he's very, very helpful in the claims process for our clients because it gives an unbiased opinion because there's a lot of mold remediator guys around here that are just running around charging 60, 70, $80,000 when the work that they they're doing may or may not be helpful. Yeah. How, how does insurance uh, deal with this? So let's assume uh, mold is found. There has to be a bunch of work. Is this uh, something that's fully covered under? Mm, not fully. No, mold's a four-letter word. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. <laughs> Figuratively and yeah. literally. Um, so with insurance companies, especially in the state of Florida, they've capped most of their mold coverage at ten, twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars. Some of the premier companies let you buy up like Chubb or a new insurtech company that came into Florida called Vault. Um, lets you buy up to 100% of your replacement cost. It gets a little expensive, but wow. for the most part, it's, there's about $50,000 of coverage in your policy. Yeah. And it basically, it becomes a wear and tear. If you don't, if you're not responsible for your own property, you can't assess that there's mold there, and you don't know that there's mold there, and then all of a sudden you have a total loss because of mold. There has to be something where you have not been competent in taking care of your property. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, John, would I that... I would agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, most people have a $10,000 cap on their insurance. Um, but well, so is, that, is there a difference between commercial and personal? Yeah. I, yes. I mean, pro- yes. yeah. So so personal is probably much lower capped, I would assume. Well, it's just more standard. On the yeah, commercial sure. policies, it's not, you know, they're not standardized for the most part. Yeah. So it depends on the agent. You need a good agent to make sure you add that into your commercial policy. Yeah, because pennies on the dollar, it's well worth its cost. I have $50,000 worth of mold coverage on my home, and it costs like $125 a year yeah. for, for that. I mean, it's every and I haven't used it but I know it's there because 10,000 will just evaporate like nothing um, yeah. on a lot of you know, if you have a bad enough issue you can eat through $10,000 quick on mold re- replacement costs of furnishings and carpet and flooring materials cork underlayments and you name it it's oh can yeah get sure it's it's, it's yeah. the stuff's hiding yeah right right you it know? gets underneath it gets behind hit what we call hidden mold <laughs> yeah. Uh, because it's it's lurking in, you know, if you have a wet, porous, organic building material and it's been wet for longer than a few days, mold is colonizing and doing its thing. And so you can have, you know, well, what we call hidden mold. It would be behind things or underneath things. So 
with the big words you threw out, do you need a degree in physics to be able to do something like this? Seems fairly complicated um, with all the tools you have to use. Well, I think a lot of it's common sense. I mean, it's science, yes, but it's not rocket science. It's really just food and water. I could equate it to a seventh grade science uh, experiment. So it's microbiology. Yeah. I mean, if you remember in like seventh, eighth grade, you grow you grew mold on bread. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that that's humidity-driven mold. And it's usually aspergillus grows on the bread or you know organics and I mean so it's it's it, again it's not rocket science there is a lot of little caveats to deal with little variables that'll sway one thing or steer the the path of getting from A to B from assessment to remediation but at the end of the day it's it's pretty simple you know uh, get rid of the mold physical removal back to there we need clean air samples we got to have wet or I'm sorry dry building materials. And, of course, solve all the moisture problems that got things started in the first place. Otherwise, you're going to have a recurrence. So just got to think things through, and, and you'll everybody will get there. They just <laughs> Well, I know you have a stack of work to yes. do, so I'll let you get back Thank to that. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I got your company name. Oh, sure. It's Radon and Mold Professionals. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll throw that in the show notes. Appreciate it. And I'll have Will. Just don't send any more work. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're going to get a – we are answering the phone. But we're just, listen, we've got to get through what's on our plate before we can take any more on. But Listen, yeah. this is one of the most popular podcasts in existence. I, I, I think I think a bunch of work's coming your way. Just just kidding. Just kidding. Thank you. You got it. Nice All right. to see you. Hey. So walking into Will's space or yep. part of the building, um, completely gutted. when you peel back a building, a building's so simple. I mean, there's steel trusses, wiring, and then all the way down to the drywall. And then, you know, they ripped up the floors. You can see to save some money, they cut the drywall out. After after they did uh, John's testing, John recommended that they cut the drywall out. It looks about knee level. Yep. So he did all the moisture meeting, moisture readings and tests up here and so this drywalls can stay so that saves a lot of money sure for us going forward and that's one way a good remediator uh tester can help you save money too he just doesn't come in here and say blow it all out he uses kind of some scientific um, benchmarks to tell you what can stay and what has to yeah, go sure um, so you know this is the first floor on the second floor you can see um a lot of holes in the roof from where not only the roof blew off, but also the the tin metal part of the interior of the roof blew off. And that's where it basically was just raining inside. So yeah. as it rained inside on the second floor, water finds the easiest path down sure. with the least resistance. It just came back down through nail holes, through all, everything, and just wiped everything out in here. But this space is doing pretty well um, on the first floor, a lot better than the, the the second floor space. Yeah. It would seem to me it's really difficult to find contractors uh, post-event. Um, and no, that's probably not your responsibility since you don't own the entire building. But uh, in your experience, how difficult is it to find contractors, so, especially reputable ones? Yeah, so the first two weeks after the storm, you had people down here and you, you'd see their their cars and you would see they're not 239, that's our area code. So you'd see, you know, eight one three nine six seven, just different area codes, and you kind, I just kind of know, unless there's an immediate need to fix something, it can wait. 
And so we waited um, until I got my contractor that I knew that did my space. And he actually was out here three days after. And he said, listen, I did your work in the in the beginning. You're on my list to, to redo it. And so it's sort of like it was a general contractor code that if they did your work for you, you know, built the house or built the, then they're going to come to you first, which was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, and we didn't, you know, I haven't seen any price gouging from any of the local uh, contractors. Um, they, of course, labor's hard for them, so they have to pass that on to us. But uh, it, it's been very, um, very pleasant working with some of these guys because they're just honest businessmen who just want to make a living for their family and provide a really good uh, product at the end of the day. So, so where does the debris go? Uh, not only after a hurricane not only do we have like the individual debris for this one building but there's debris all over the city uh my my sister-in-law was describing how uh, in a lot of the places in naples the debris was so uh thick and deep that it was it reminded her of uh big snowstorms in new england where the piles are so big that when you approach an intersection you have to inch your way out and peek around the corner where where does the city of naples and these contractors where do they put all this debris so the like in the part we're in the parking lot right now and it looks very uh, other than the dumpsters it looks like there was never a problem here this exactly whole, this whole parking lot was filled with trees i mean you couldn't drive where we are so the what there's two stages one you got it to the curb and the city of naples and then collier county um took all the debris uh, and hired a contractor ahead of the storm they had their own management plan um, and they actually started shipping it to the interior counties of the state where they would do one of two things one they would burn it um, or two some of the sugar plants would buy it from us and use it uh, somehow they would uh, burn it for energy and to propel some of their their sugar plants oh, interesting. Uh, which was kind of a cool thing uh, sort of a recycling event that happened but yeah that's where it all went but it took three to four weeks to get everything all the debris out now i don't know where they put the drywall and yeah. all that stuff I, I just don't know anything about that but the recyclable recyclable debris um, i know they moved to the interior of this the state driving driving down from the airport you wouldn't have known that there was a hurricane except in a few spots like you see um areas where there are a lot of trees you can definitely tell something happened because a lot of the trees have been knocked over but i would say you know it's been what two months yeah it's been two months and 10 days since the event and you would never tell that a major hurricane had to come through here uh it looks like the last time i came to naples pretty much right well collier county and the city of naples have done a wonderful job getting us back, getting the business owners back, and then getting the residents back, or the residents and then the business owners. And I'm very thankful to live in such a um, an accommodating place. And the the police and firefighters and the first responders were here the whole time, and uh, they did a wonderful job. The water authority. So it just seemed like everything worked together. I think it's also, I'm a little biased. I live here in Collier County and in the city of Naples. Uh, we pay a higher amount of taxes than a lot of other counties do, and I think we have some pretty solid um, governance, and I think they tend to take care of people who want to live in a, a nice part of, of the world. 
And so they knew it was very important to get everything back from the airport driving down for when people come to visit here. So they felt like they were on vacation again. And uh, they did they did a great job. Yeah, I can tell. Uh, it's a good, good point to take a break. Yeah, thanks. Okay, we're back uh, in Will's car. And uh, Will, where are we? So we're west of uh, 41 Tamiami Trail, about a half or half or so block, and we're about half a mile from the open water, not the Gulf, but uh, the back bays. And we're driving through some seasoned neighborhoods uh, in Naples. And I was showing Nick some of the problems that we have on an insurance basis, insuring homes for flood. So, you know, we're looking at, uh, um, you know, houses right now that were built in about 1980. Okay. And they're lovely houses. I mean, the replacement costs on these homes, you know, it, this house would sell over here for, you know, $1.2 million. It's a 2,500 square foot house. But the replacement cost is really, the, the, the value is really the land. Um, and the replacement cost in the house is probably about three hundred to $500,000, depending on, you know, how you view the interior but the problem is is all these homes are negatively elevated what yeah i sense that we were from where we were at your uh, office that's being repaired uh we went downhill mm -hmm. and florida's pretty flat so going downhill probably means something like uh you're dropping excessively in elevation yeah so we're right now about uh, as the car sits about eight feet above sea level and these homes are about 10 feet and right in this area the you have to be uh, anywhere between 10 to 12 feet above sea level to be considered positively elevated meaning the, the, the base flood elevation the base flood yes the, meaning the NFIP would insure your home at a, a pretty reasonable rate uh, but you know these homes that we're looking at right here for them to get $250,000 in coverage, well, not that one, that's a little bit higher, but um, maybe this one over here, um, which looks like it's about eight feet. That would be about two grand a year. Um, for for, for $250,000 of building coverage. And $100,000 of, of contents at actual cash value on the contents. Yeah. So it becomes very challenging. And, you know, some of these homes, people have lived in them for years and they're on fixed incomes. Other homes, you know, you have people, snowbirds, who have a lot of money to spend, but it's becoming a challenge insuring these homes. And so what a lot of people are doing who don't have mortgages, they said, you know, hey, well, what's the chance of a flood coming here? What's the chance of a, a flood destroying our home? And fortunately, well, their their thought process has been validated in their minds because we had a category four storm the worst storm in the history of the state in terms of its breadth its size not its damage um, it was the largest evacuation in uh, u.s history and they didn't have any flood damage and so they're sort of validated now, and we all know what happens. There's a reason why it's a 100-year storm, because it happens once every 100 years for the most part, or actually three times in 100 years. But So it's hard to convince these folks that they need coverage, especially at the prices that um, we're able to quote them at. Yeah, now they have evidence. You know, pretty big storm. They didn't get the storm surge that they everyone assumed that they were going to get. So now they have even more evidence that they don't need to buy the coverage. Yeah, and they feel confident now. Um, 
they felt pretty unconfident, if that's the right word, mm -hmm. uh, two weeks before when everybody was calling our office to buy flood insurance. <laughs> and so that's the, the kind of the, the story that we remind our clients is, hey, a week before, you're going to be calling us for flood coverage because if you are, let's just buy it now. Right. Right. They, there's a waiting period. Yeah. Yes. Well, there's a, yeah, <laughs> unless they're closing on the house, yeah, there's a 30-day waiting yeah. period, which um, it's hard to explain as well. Yeah. So if you're, if you're really paying attention, you can see the evidence. There are trees snapped, you know, just rogue trees that have been uh, ripped in half here and there. Um, but for the most part, lawns are in good shape. Uh, most of the palm trees are still around. The, the city did a really good job, and um, I, I think this is evidence that building codes matter. Um, you know, they're, they're very important, and that's what keeps, that's what prevents Florida from having further disasters when it comes to hurricanes. Yeah, so Florida, and specifically, call your county. So the, uh, the building codes are standardized building codes. Um, we're the only state in the nation to have a standardized building code for natural disasters and so all the counties are unified that they have to follow it which is great and that's one of the problems with you know they have problems in texas in different areas because the counties said well, we don't want to sign up for that our residents don't want to pay for those certain kind of impact windows it's an additional cost um but call your county not only has that standard but they actually enforce the standard really well and that's as i was yeah. mentioning before it's great to live in a county where um you have building folks come out and say, you know, it's not passing inspection because you have a, a faulty whatever. Um, and it's not great that you don't pass inspection, but it's great. The end result, if you notice, there's not a lot of blue tarps on our roofs. Yep. There's some, but not a lot. When you go over to any other part of the, the state right now, there's blue, blue tarps everywhere. Even though we have the same building code as everybody else, we don't have, uh, I mean, we have um, better inspectors who come out and are, are very diligent. So, it's a nice thing about living here in Collier County. I guess I'm plugging it, but I do live here, and I chose to live here, and that's one of the reasons. Now, we're driving up, and ahead of us is uh, the Naples Grand. Naples Grand is probably, other than the Ritz, the, was the best hotel, um, second best hotel in, in Naples. And you can see, uh, Nick, you can see a hole in the roof. I do see it. Um, dead center. And that hotel is closed indefinitely. They keep saying December 15th and then January 15th. Um, but I do know we, and we do not insure that building. I know that their insurance company is committed to paying $68 million so far from the claim. And I also know that they are trying to sell that hotel because I think it's Black, Black Rock or Blackstone. Mm -hmm. um, private capital uh, owns that and they have 130 million dollars in debt and they're looking for buyers right now to to take it over which is a total mess and so you can see uh, everything looks okay but if you know the areas that really got impacted hard like my office uh, the naples grand and some other spots you can see there were some problems not with the building code but what happened was, is we had tornadoes within the hurricane. And when you have 140 mile an hour winds and add on top of it the fury of a tornado, 
not many building codes are going to stand up to that, and that's quite frankly why you buy insurance for those type of events. So I know a, a tornado hit this um, at Naples Grand. I know a tornado hit our office and a few other offices around here. So it was sort of like a a storm uh, within a storm. Yeah, I mean like a microburst or something. Yeah. I, but a storm within a storm that really did a lot of damage. Yeah. Okay. Another good point to take to pause. Okay, we're back. Uh, what's the name of the hotel again? The Naples Grand? Naples Grand, yep. yeah. with a roof that's open. I'll put the pictures on the show notes. Uh, Will and I were chatting about that, and the owners have essentially uh, shrugged their shoulders and kind of given up because the roof is still open uh, all these uh, months and weeks after the event, and every time it rains, water is still getting into the building. So uh, Will and I were having a chat about coverages and you know what these people are doing so what's the future here like what's uh what could what could this particular account have done or what could agents have done uh or or what will be done in the future to enhance the coverage for something like this because uh it looks as though they don't have the coverage right now to cover the roof to do the things that are necessary to make the necessary repairs what's what will we learn from this from a coverage standpoint so I can't specifically address or talk about the Naples Grand. I, I'm not the agent on right, that. Right, so, right. But what what insurance companies need to do going forward, and I've talked to our state association about this, and I've talked to Frontline, and they've been very responsive on this, and a few other insurance companies. I'm trying to rally some of the agents as well. Um, we have this awful phrase down here. It's called wind-driven wind rain. And it really sounds like that's something inside of an insurance policy that should be covered. And I would have assumed so. It, and in most of the homeowners' policies in the state of Florida, wind-driven rain is an exclusion wow. during a hurricane. So how it usually plays out is that cause of loss is obviously the big concern in, in a claim. So when a roof doesn't blow off or a window doesn't break, but yet there is water inside of the building envelope. So the adjuster comes out and says, I can't understand it. The roof didn't fail. The windows didn't fail. But you have two inches of water in here that isn't the result of a flood. So you rule out flood. They basically say, well, it's wind-driven rain during a hurricane, and that's not covered. So you kind of explain, you take a step back, and when you're talking to a client, you go, yeah, you bought a hurricane policy. It was a hurricane. You have non-flood water inside of your house. Oh, and oh, by the way, you don't have coverage. Now, that is almost an impossible conversation to have with a client because it doesn't make sense to me let alone a person who's paid their premiums for the last 10 years. Of course. So really what the insurance companies are trying to capture in this exclusion is wear and tear, which I appreciate and understand. If a client doesn't maintain their house, if there are roof tiles that need to be replaced and they didn't replace them, or seals, or they didn't paint their house in the last 20 years and water leaks in, I get it. I understand that. But what they're saying is is that in when there's heavy wind and there's no puncture to the building, we're not gonna cover the, the um, property, inside of that property, because we can't find a cause of loss. And then you show them all of the records that the client maintained their house 
They painted it a few years ago. They got a new roof six years ago. Um, they sealed up all of the um, uh, the windows. And even after that, they still use the exclusion of wind-driven rain exclusion. And it is really, I'll, I'll say, an abomination. That's a very strong word. And we, we as agents are starting to um, come together and approach the insurance companies and say, listen, and it's not all the insurance companies, you know, Frontline has done a good job um, with this. Chubb actually covers in their policy wind-driven rain. A new startup uh, insurance company called Vault, um, in all of their forms, they didn't have to go through the hurricane because they just came out a few uh, weeks ago, and all of their forms, because they worked with agents while um, creating this product, they uh, include wind-driven rain. So it's not all the carriers, but we're going to the carriers that we do business with and saying, you have to change this or at least provide, if it's a pricing problem, no problem, provide a, a gold package, an emerald package, where the client can buy enhanced coverage to include these kind of items. So that's the one thing that going back that needs to change that, and I think it's really changing because if insurance agents are going to their legislature, their representatives and their insurance carriers they're working with and saying, guys, we need to change this. And it's going to change. And so going forward, um, I'm very optimistic about that. But it's been a very, very difficult time explaining that to clients. Yeah, well, because they're buying a hurricane policy. So that's something else. Well, you know, it covers this, covers wind, but it doesn't cover flood. And oh, by the way, if the wind damages the roof, it's not going to cover the rain that gets in. It's almost like, well, what am I paying for? Uh, it, it almost seems natural that an uh, insurance carrier should offer it, at least to differentiate themselves. I'm glad to hear that Chubb is doing it. That doesn't surprise me at all. They're, I usually point them out as the gold standard when it comes to insurance. So, um, okay, well, we're approaching your office. I'm going to pause again, and then we'll keep the conversation going. Well, that was all the time I was able to get with Will. I want to thank Will Castro for spending time with me and giving me a tour of Naples and describing the aftermath of Hurricane Irma and how it affected the community and how it affected him and his business. So until next time, this is Nick Lamparelli. You've been listening to Profiles and Risk.